0: Welcome to the How to Resist podcast. My name is Will O'Neill. The How to Resist podcast is a space for talking about how anyone can become an activist and take a strategic approach to resisting the Trump administration and making an impact in their communities, their workplace, their country and the world. Each week we're going to sit down with an activist who will tell us how they came to be empowered and how they resist the injustices they see around them and the Donald Trump administration. How to Resist isn't a space where we're going to try to convince you why it's important to resist injustice in general and Trump in particular. There are plenty of other places for that conversation. We're here to let you know that you are empowered to make change in the world around you. This episode premieres Tuesday, April 11th, 2017. Since last week's episode, Trump has issued an executive order revoking workplace protections for women, including parental leave and sexual harassment protections. Trump is hoping to eliminate the Social Security payroll tax deduction as part of his budget. Neil Gorsuch was confirmed in a Supreme Court seat stolen from Merrick Garland by Mitch McConnell, whose grave I will one day piss upon. This is going to set the court in the rightward direction in a big way. It's going to lead to attacks on workers, women, the LGBTQ community, and put more power in the hands of big corporations. Trump attacked Syria this week after Syrian President Bashar al-Assad launched a chemical attack in the Idlib province. Trump's reaction was to send 50 missiles at a Syrian air force base. With no firm doctrine in place on foreign policy and the use of force forthcoming from an administration with no congressional approval for these bombings, we have no way of knowing if this is part of a broader approach to foreign policy or if it's a one-off. And with Trump, we really have no way of knowing. Congress went out of session at the end of last week, and constituents are pounding members of Congress back home. Most coward Republicans aren't even holding town halls because they fear they will have to be accountable to their constituents. As tax day approaches, there are plans for major marches on the 15th to demand Trump release his tax returns, and there's going to be a march in D.C., and there's going to be hundreds of local marches taking place across the country. This week, I'm speaking with the founders of Resistance School. Resistance School is a free four-session practical training program put together by graduate students at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and you can visit their website at resistanceschool.com. Shanur Servai is a master's in public policy student at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government and one of the co-founders of Resistance School. She is a Friedman-Martin journalism scholar and the editor-in-chief of the Kennedy School Review, which is the Kennedy School's largest student-run policy journal. While at the Kennedy School, Shanor has also conducted research and written about child and youth protections and the ongoing refugee crisis in Germany, Sweden, and Jordan. In the summer of 2016, Shanor reported for Stat News, the Boston Globe's new health and life science publication. Before coming to the Harvard School, she reported for the Wall Street Journal's South Asia Bureau where she helped cover India's 2014 federal election, a reproductive health crisis in rural India, and the aftermath of the violent gang rape of a young girl in New Delhi. She has also written about sex workers in Mumbai's red light district, the pioneers of India's fledgling contemporary art scene, and a religiously motivated ban against beef. Shanor graduated from Brown University with a BA in International Relations and she grew up in Mumbai, India. Yasmin Raji is a Masters in Public Policy candidate at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government as well and also one of the co-founders. They're both joining me today. At the Kennedy School she serves as the Co-Chair of the Electoral Politics Professional Interest Council, Chair of the Persian Caucus, and last year she served as Co-Chair of the Democratic Caucus. Last election cycle, she served as a bundler for the Russ Feingold Senate race and volunteered as a fellow in the New Hampshire Democratic Party's coordinated campaign. Before attending Harvard, she led grassroots congressional lobbying efforts on the Iran deal as outreach and field director for the National Iranian American Council. Previously, she worked as a congressional-based organizer for the nation's longest-standing community organizing network, the Industrial Areas Foundation in Iowa and Texas. She also worked as a field organizer in the 2008 Obama campaign in Ohio. Yasmin earned her BA in Urban Studies and Hispanic Studies from the University of Pennsylvania and grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. She speaks English, Spanish, French, and Persian. Just a quick note before we get to the interview, this episode will conclude the first season of How to Resist. We've had 10 episodes and they've been great. We've gotten great reaction. I'll be starting back in June with my second season. Putting together a podcast each week is a lot of work, and I really want to thank everyone who has listened to the show for their support. Shanor and Yasmin, thank you for coming on the How to Resist podcast. How are you today?
1: We're good. Great. Excited
0: to be here. And how are you resisting right now?
2: Well, Sean or myself and a group of our friends have just started something called Resistance School. We launched on Tuesday night, and it followed a series of conversations we've been having pretty much every week uh, since the inauguration uh, in conference rooms around our campus, trying to figure out how best we could make a difference. And our decision to start Re- uh, Resistance School was out of out of a feeling that uh, part of where a lot of our friends and family um, were kind of finding themselves de-energized was that they were marching, they were calling their congressmen, but they weren't developing skills to help make each of those steps better. So Resistance School is a four-session practical training program the month of April to help those friends, family, and a whole bunch of new friends that we're finding online (laughs) uh, develop those skills so that whatever they're doing in their local communities is more effective.
0: Hey, could you tell me a little bit about the curriculum that you're developing?
1: Yeah, so we, again, started thinking about what were some of the things that we had learned here in graduate school that were useful to us, what were some of the communication strategies, uh, work on organizing and mobilizing, work on sustaining a movement that we uh, had found useful in the work that we were doing. So the curriculum goes through four steps, and I can send you exact details on it, um, but the first session is on how to effectively communicate your values for political advocacy. Um, and we ha- that is being led by Timothy McCarthy, who is an activist, and historian, and a scholar. Um, then we have Sarah el who's one of Obama's grassroots movement architects, who's going to lead, lead a session on uh, sustaining, uh, organizing, and mobilizing. Sorry. Um, then for our third session, we have Marshall Gans, who's also a veteran activist, uh, and has done organizing for decades, who's gonna lead people through, uh, ideas about leadership and the best sorts of leadership strategies work best for mobilizing and organizing. Um, and then we have New York Assemblyman and Vice Chair of the DNC, Michael Blake, who's gonna come in for the final session. And he's going to work with participants on sustaining movements and long-term resistance.
0: And I think that the the focus on the long-term resistance is really important. How did you identify that as a goal for your program?
2: Honestly, we felt, um, and we call our initial meetings sort of like group therapy sessions, we just felt exhausted and we felt like a lot of our friends, family and Um, activists from previous work we'd done also felt exhausted, and we felt like part of that was we were all in a very, we were all on defense, which defense is important. We're getting all sorts of crazy policies thrown at us from the local, state, to federal levels because we've lost more than just the White House. We've lost state legislatures all across the country. Uh, but the fact that we're on defense is tiring, and, uh, a lot of us also, you know, our interest in a lot of this work didn't develop on January 20th, it took a different tenor, but um, a lot of us have been concerned that Democrats have been not paying as much attention on down-ballot strategies, particularly – I mean, this is uh, the, the main issue that uh, motivates me and personally in this is uh, our inattentiveness to state legislatures. And so um, if we're on defense, if we're not thinking down-ballot, then we're thinking short-term from cycle to cycle. And so in our, again, these sort of therapy sessions, as we talked more and more about all of that, we thought about, okay, how can we get our friends who are doing a really great job calling their members of Congress, answering every action alert they have, working well on defense, how do we get them to translate their existing talents into a more offensive mode so that we're not just winning in 2018 and 2020, but we're actually building the kind of fundamental grassroots infrastructure that it takes. All over the country to really be able to win um, not just as Democrats but also as progressives in a more sustained way.
0: Yeah, how much of a problem do you think it is that we don't have a backbench right now? That we don't have sort of the new, we don't have a farm team in the sort of progressive left of uh, people who are running for city councils and uh, school boards and things like that. are you hoping to address that issue and encourage people to be running for office or to become activists or both? Those two certainly are mutually so, exclusive.
2: We think this is a huge problem, um, and we're not the only ones who think it's a huge problem. We're really excited about groups like Run for Something and The Arena um, and all sorts of groups that have emerged um, in this kind of new wave of the resistance to address that specific issue. Our lack of a bench is um, a fundamental problem, as we even try to imagine in our, you know, over our conversations among friends of who might be running in 2020, the lack of bench informs those concerns and anxieties, right? So, but our point at Resistance School is not to try to build that bench or specifically motivate people to run for office over, say, getting involved with immigrant rights work in Texas or something like that. We're saying whatever motivates you and whatever... Um, is sort of your level of engagement, we want you to do that better, and then we want to help funnel those folks to the groups that are doing really wonderful work, if they're not already. But a lot of those folks are already connected to the arena, or connected to uh, their state Democratic Party, and are trying to, you know, help them think about building the bench in a more structured way.
0: And what brought each of you into activism for the first time?
1: Uh well, for me, I so I, I was a journalist before I came to graduate school um, and have always walked this fine line between causes I care about and really want to advocate for, but trying to do that in a way that gets to the widest possible audience and also that integrates and takes multiple perspectives into account. Um, and it's something that I've been struggling with for all my adult life, basically. How do I balance these two things? Um, And I think something fundamentally changed on November 8th and I said to myself, um, I don't know if I can live with spending the next year or the next several years trying to write really good stories about disadvantaged communities and hope that they make it through the horrible noise and buzz that we've got going on in the media right now with um, fake news and complete disbelief and polarization. And so this, I mean, this group has just developed in a very organic, spontaneous way, literally with us sitting around in rooms at seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night being like, you guys, what are we going to do? We need to do something. Um, And now I'm finding myself at the beginning of a really exciting opportunity um, to build something and look at what we as a community can do here at Harvard, what we as a community can do here in Cambridge, and then what we can do as a national community coming together and saying, um, this administration is not normal, we're going to fight, and we're here to stay. Can you ask me? Um, so I guess my... Interest in
2: activism started out pretty non-politically. Uh, I went to college in 2004 uh, planning to be a teacher. I was really interested in the inequities that we have in our school systems. And very quickly uh, that changed into uh, myself asking a lot of questions about why were our school systems so different and the places like where I grew up, where schools are, um, public schools are amazing and provide kids with incredible opportunities compared to the ones um, like you know, not far from where I grew up, um, where that wasn't the case. That led to a long series of um, kind of bigger questions about how I could plug in and make a difference, um, and I decided to join the 2008 Obama campaign out of a question of, here was this guy who um, was addressing a lot of stuff that I cared about locally. Went from there into bigger um, community organizing with the Industrial Areas Foundation, working on organizing around the Iran deal and then or and I and uh and several others on campus have our activism has been both heading up to New Hampshire during the 2008 election Seanora and I spent most of our Saturdays and a lot of our Sundays up in New Hampshire knocking on doors um to helping with organized labor efforts uh with the food workers that we work with um you know or that feed us every day on campus and who were uh in a wage argue, uh fight with the uh with the university so a lot of different faces, but I think um, at the kind of core for myself and for you know Sean Or, and the whole reason this team has worked so well together is that we're all pretty different, but we all have a, a very long time commitment to fairness and justice. It's just played out really differently for each of our
1: careers
0: and Sean one of the things that you said in there is that you recognized that you had uh, we need to do something is what you said there and I think that that's super, super important, and translating that need to do something into action is, I think, something that a lot of people struggle with, and something that I've struggled with, and uh, every guest that I've had on this show has struggled with this. What would you recommend to someone who is feeling that way right now?
1: Um, Well, we want them to come to Resistance School on Wednesday, April 5th at 7 p.m. EST, uh, we want them to specifically do that with a group of people if they can get together with others in their community who have the same question. What do we do? Um, the reason for the group model is because we think that we are more effective than we are to- when we are together than when we're alone. And so we want people to be able to draw on the resource that they have around them, which is other people concerned who care. Um, I know for me, having this community here is really important, but also when I went down to the Women's March in Boston and saw thousands and tens of thousands of people there, I was like, holy shit, everybody's pissed. Like, we're, we're in this together. Um, and so we want people to get those groups together for Resistance School on Wednesday. We also are lifting earth and heaven to have this live stream. Uh, uh-huh. so that the, at, the, at this point, the more than 2,600 groups that have signed up can all get on at the same time because we want them to know that this is nationwide. Um, it's not just their local community. It's a national community that we're building. Um, and, then and What's start- the
0: website? Where can someone sign up for that?
1: Uh, resistanceschool.com. Okay. very simple google form just sign up uh we'll send you information about how to get access to the live stream it's completely free it's very easy um you just have to show up yeah just continuing
2: off of Dranor's of point um a lot of folks might feel like this is maybe a leap for them they've never done anything before um we always talk about uh our friend's mom is sort of our uh our target for this whole effort um she lives in upstate new york She's an extremely diligent resistor. She emails her congressmen every time she needs to. She calls them. She uh, and her senators. Um, she call, forwards all that information to her friends. She's never actually gathered with her friends in a room together to talk about this stuff and to actually think about how it turns into action. So everything that Shauna just said. I mean, it's, it sometimes feels for folks like that's too big a leap. That's not really for me. I'm just someone who can post articles who can share that with my friends. I'm not going to be able to lead a group. I'm not a leader. I'm an introvert or something like that. Folks like that are really who uh, we're hoping to engage. And we also have been really excited that we've engaged groups that are far more organized. Like there's a group of 700 moms in Boise, Idaho who are getting together. And oh, wow. that's a scale that we hadn't even imagined. Um, and uh, anyway, so it's, uh, it's different levels, different scales. Uh, different levels of formality. Some are renting big projection screens. Some are just going to huddle around a laptop and cook pancakes at one group. You know, it's just a very different <laughs> different types of activism.
0: That's, that's wonderful. And one of the things I'm hearing you say is that people are building community around the resistance schools. Um, what are you personally getting out of your activism? And I, that segue is based on the fact that almost everyone I talk to says that the communities that they get, is something that's very very valued valuable to them what's what value are you getting out of this work um
1: well for one we felt that we wanted to develop a skills-based program because there were skills that we identified that we needed as well so you know starting with session one all of us have these values that we hold deeply, but maybe don't know how to communicate in a way that is effective and that gets other people, that resonates with other people, that gets other people on board. So one of the things that we're getting out of this is the skills that we think we need to organize as well. Um, but what's become more important and sort of more apparent to us in the huge flood of responses that we've had coming in um, is that we, we feel a, a realization that other people want these skills to other people want to organize other people have local issues that they really want to do something about and they're just hungry for some more tools in their toolbox to figure out what to do and nothing is more gratifying to us than the idea that so many people also want to take action so many people care about their communities um and if we can in some ways help them strengthen these skills, then they'll be able to make the difference that they want to see. Yeah, um, and I think just continuing off of, I agree always with everything. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, but um, you know, I think we were not were most a lot of us are really close friends, but the group sort of came out as something we didn't really anticipate was going to turn into something this concrete. And so, something I'm really getting out of it is seeing. People that I really, really respect, but also like a lot, working together with unbelievably different skills and putting something real together has been extremely exciting and inspiring. Um, and as we've mentioned a bunch of times throughout this conversation, we just did not anticipate this level of feedback and um, and kind of positivity. And so that's just been fun as an experiment that we started that you know, our group of friends is capable of doing something, putting our differences and skills together. Um, and then the other piece of it is, you know, a lot of us have networks from very different pieces of our lives um, that have never interacted with each other. Like I worked on the Obama campaign in um, rural and small town Ohio, and I worked on Iran deal organizing with Iranian Americans all over the country. Those two groups have never interacted, and now I'm getting messages from folks from both of those pieces of my life who are all going through the same thought process, working on the same stuff, organizing similar events, and that to me personally is just people from every bit of my life who are going to be participating in a resistance School, and that's just unbelievably exciting and inspiring.
0: And how did you pick the pieces of your curriculum? So the first week, you're talking about communications. The second week, you're talking about uh, mobilizing and organizing within communities. And then in the third session, you're talking about building capacity for doing actions. And then in the last week, you're gonna be talking about long-term sustainability. How did y'all decide that those were the four things that you wanted to teach?
2: Well, I think a big part of it was we, as Shauna said, we had a lot of conversations about where we felt like the gaps that we felt were, and they differ for some of us have organizing backgrounds, so we didn't feel a gap there, but we felt a lot of gaps in values-based communications. And so we started with ourselves, and then you know, we've been, as I'm sure you and a lot of the folks listening to this podcast have been, just talking to people constantly about this stuff. And so as we heard stories from people about, things that had gone wrong, things that were frustrating about a march that they'd gone to, things that were exhausting about a congressional action or a town hall, or things that they felt like they mistake that they had made when they were meeting with their, you know, member of congress's staffer through those conversations. We sort of built out, you know, a little on a little whiteboard in our conference rooms late at night. What were the things that we thought were important as kind of the initial phase of a curriculum? And again, we don't feel like after these four sessions, you're all of a sudden going to be organizers who can do everything perfectly. Organizing is incredibly hard work, and it's a craft that needs to be developed over years and years and years. But here's a little kind of bite-sized piece of four skills that you definitely need to be effective in the resistance. And we hope that then that whets the appetite for folks to go to groups that are doing three- and ten-day trainings to continue their education uh, because the resistance is not just going to be from now till 2018 or 2020. I mean, this is this is for the long haul, um, and so a lot of learning needs to happen for all of us. I mean, we're just as Shandra said, we're just we're learning a lot ourselves still.
1: And just to add to that, um, obviously there are I mean other trainings and more skills that people need. So we we've identified these four key ones. We don't in any way intend for them to be the be-all and the end-all and we're really interested in what people who come to resistance school have to say um, so we're we've developed a way to get feed, feed, feedback real time and want to make sure that we're listening to what other people say and that we're thinking about you know we've developed this four session curriculum um, who knows what future iterations of resistance school could look like so we're, we're definitely open to feedback we're not the we're not the final word on this but We also wanted to start somewhere, and these seemed like obvious gaps.
0: And what do you think some of the the misconceptions that might stop someone from being involved with the resistance school or being an activist? What are some of the misconceptions that you feel are out there that might stop someone from getting involved in the first place?
2: The biggest misconception. I mean, so I've been in organizing for a while, and I think the most talented leaders that I've found, from campaigns to did church-based organizing, and like I said, Iranian American organizing, and consistently, regardless of demographic, income, race, you know, whatever group, people have this feeling that I'm not talented enough, I'm not articulate enough, I'm not enough of an extrovert, I'm not smart enough on the details of a policy, and don't recognize. The many, many, many skills that they have as leaders within their own friend networks, within their, you know, professional communities, et cetera, and don't realize that those are actually political skills. And so, um, we're not going to be able to conquer all of that. We know a lot of the, the groups that we're talking to and that have come up since the resistance first started and a lot of long-term existing groups kind of deal with that. But we're hoping that through, we're doing some phone banking tomorrow, the people who signed up, we can kind of convince people that, You don't have to be a policy expert and you don't have to be a professional to be an active member of the resistance. And quite frankly, a lot of people who don't feel like they have these skills are far better equipped uh, to talk to their members of Congress in a convincing way, as long as we can help them and other groups can help them build the confidence uh, to just realize how talented they are.
0: And what what are you all doing personally to take care of yourself, to prevent yourselves from getting burned out?
1: (laughs) Uh, right now, we have a lot of energy, to be honest. I uh, I was telling one of the other founders of Persistence School because she sent me a text, and I called her immediately. I never just like call people on Sunday when I'm hoping that they're having brunch with their friends, um, but I called her immediately, and she was like, how are you doing? And I was like, you know, most nights by 7 p.m., I'm done with work, and I want to go down to my kitchen and cook dinner and hang out with my friends. Um, and last night at 12.30, I was still on my computer, and I was like, I need, I need to go to bed. Like, my eyes are glossing <laughs> over. Um, so right now we're running off the adrenaline and the excitement, um, and all. I think a lot of us are just feeling like we want to we deliver the best possible experience to all these people who've come out across the country and across the world to support us. Um, how we're going to take care of ourselves in the long run, um, ask us that next month. We'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs>
0: And Yasmin, how are you taking care of yourself?
2: I mean, it's like Chandra said, I don't know. We've, our sleep deficits are very real, but it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's like a campaign, right? It's just yep. we're running on adrenaline. And also, it's a really good group. And so it's not just the adrenaline of Resistance School as a project. It's, and this is why we want people to be tuning in with groups in real time, because it's very, very exhausting to just be by yourself, taking on, you know, the New York Times news alert anxiety sensations all by yourself. But if you're with people and you're building community in face to face, not just, you know, on Gchat or something, that really is what sustains, I think what well, we're saying is sustain the resistance. And that's certainly what's sustaining us because there's some days when I feel really burnt out, but Sean or doesn't. And, you know, I build off of her energy and the same with the rest of our group.
0: One of the best things I did was turn off the alerts that I got on my phone the Washington <laughs> Post and the New York Times because it was awful. Yeah. Was yeah. Awful. yeah. yeah. Um, specifically, what are some of the big concerns that you've got about where this administration is heading? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
1: either, of us, either of us can take that and we can be here until tomorrow morning <laughs> listing off our huge concerns. Um, I mean, just immediately looking at last week, uh, the gutting of the EPA was scary to me. Um, what's going on with immigrant rights is devastating and breaking my heart. Um, but what's important about resistance school and what we're trying to do here is we're not pushing policy. We're not pushing a policy agenda. We're not taking perspectives on specific policy issues. Um, We really want people to figure out what it is that they care about, like what's what's pinching them the hardest, and organize around that. So I'm not here to to tell you to agree with me and my personal capacity on what I feel about certain issues. I'm here to ask you, what is it you care about? What is it that you need to do something about that? How can I bridge that gap?
2: Yeah, in continuing off of, of Shauna's points, I think, I mean, the, the number of issues that we could go over that, that are totally catastrophic right now is endless. Mm-hmm. I think that the core of of what's uniting right now is that it feels like an affront to our fundamental values. So it's not just about immigration or the economy or, uh, or the environment. I mean, again, we can go on and on. It's really just that this, we... You know, People talk about conservative values all the time, but we have progressive values, and they are very deeply rooted. And for some of us, they come from our faith traditions. For some of us, they come from our family traditions, but they are very, very deep, and we feel like everything that we're seeing in those New York Times news alerts is an affront to our values. And I think um, you know, for myself, it's also, as we mentioned earlier in this conversation, I'm very concerned that it's not just that you have this Trump administration, but that we have a really sane set of legislators at the state and local levels. It's that Trump is doing really crazy stuff and then our defenses are very limited because we've lost the Congress, we've lost state legislatures, we've lost city councils, we've lost all this stuff. And so so I think if we can focus on linking back to, and uh, Professor McCarthy's gonna talk about this in our first session, but what do each of these issues mean in terms of our values and also how can we fight back in every single way The way conservatives have done masterfully in taking back school boards, I mean, all this sort of stuff, um, that's really what what motivates us.
0: What's some of the infrastructures that you think that conservatives had in doing things like taking over the school boards, which they very much focused on in the the 90s and the the 2000s? What are some of the infrastructures that we could build uh, parallels to on the left?
2: Well, a big piece of it <clears throat> relates to the core of what resistance school is all about, which is training, right? I mean, this is, um I think, it di- differs from state to state, and from municipality to municipality, but um in a lot of places, if you are not close to a local or county or state party, you're not someone who would be in the pipeline to run for office, or if you're not someone who's a big business leader or something like that. And so what I think is really actually admirable and more small d democratic on the conservative side is that people who would show up saying, I want to participate in some way through their church group or their NRA club or through their community group or whatever, um, would have a funnel to get trained, to get supported, to learn how to fundraise. They'd get connected to local think tanks that would help them think about policies from a very conservative standpoint and get trained on talking points. They get trained on grassroots. I mean, all this sort of stuff we've got to mimic. And I think on our side, um, you know, this is beginning to change. But ideologically, progressives tend to be so much more focused on federal policies. And for good reason, right? I mean, we state policy in the U.S. is, you know, and for a lot of us, we link that back to the civil rights movement and how dangerous state policy can be and how much of a savior federal policy can be on um, on making sure that states aren't regressive. Um, but I think if we can get progressives to think really about um, state-level work and, as we're trying to do at resistance school, focus on training, um, a lot of that infrastructure can be rebuilt. All
0: right. Are y'all ready for the uh, quick question round? We're ready. I'm yeah. Gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to uh, go to the next question when you, uh, whenever we sort of answer the first answer, I'm just going to go on to the next question. So if y'all are ready. Uh, what is your favorite chant? Oh. <laughs>
2: uh, the only okay. ch- chant I can think of is We Are the Champions, which hopefully we'll be singing on, uh, 2018. But <laughs> that's all I can who's, think of.
0: Who's the worst cabinet member?
1: I played the fifth. No, um, Jeff Sessions.
0: Who's your least favorite member of Congress?
2: T- Oh my gosh, um, Tom Cotton.
0: Who's your favorite member of Congress? Oh.
2: Uh, I'm, I've got, I'm, I love Earl Blumen, Blumenauer in Oregon. Um, I love uh, Elizabeth Warren, our own senator. Yeah. Beto O'Rourke down in El Paso. Um, it's a long list,
1: but. Right.
0: What's the best sign that you've seen at a rally?
1: Um, there was, yes, this one, this is, I think, a resistance school favorite. Um, this guy had a picture of what looked like a flood, and the sign that's drowning in the flood is those emails, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What was the last book that you read?
1: Um, I am actually in the middle of, and have not read for the last 10 days, Um, Exit West by Mossine Hamid. Um, He's a Pakistani writer, and the book is about the dissonance that refugees experience when their cities are torn apart, and when they cross borders, and how they have to live. Um, The section I finished was this really poignant section with these two refugees who were in a a basically box trying to get across the water. Um, I want to get back to that book, but...
0: All right. Well, that just about wraps it up. What would you say, what would each of you say to someone who wants to be involved, who maybe went to the Women's March, is planning on going to the Science March on April 29th, uh, but isn't sure what to do next? What would you tell them and and where to start and how can they plug into uh, Resistance School?
2: So I'd say if they're not involved in anything yet, that they should just gather a small group, three, five friends together who feel the same way they do and they should tune into resistance school on Wednesday night. Um, and as we're going to have after each session uh, an action that anyone can take, you don't have to have previous experience to take them, and to take those actions really seriously, they're going to range from thinking about um, their shared values to phone banking to uh, for the Georgia 6th congressional election, and that would be a good way to kind of dip their toe in the water. And if there's someone who's already been really active, it might be more than just a toe, But we'd say for those folks um, to really think about what are the strengths and weaknesses of their current approach, and how can they use resistance school sessions, not just as a way to learn a little bit, you know, more about these skills, but also as a way to get their group together to think together about how they can improve what they're doing locally, which is going to vary from from person to person, group to group.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Um, and I very much appreciate it. And Good luck with your first session of resistance school.
2: Thank Thank you. you Thanks for everything.
0: This wraps up our episode and wraps up the first season of How to Resist. Thank you for listening. If you'd enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. Those reviews are going to be really important as we move forward towards season two. So if you could please just take a minute and put five stars and leave a review, that would be amazing. Notes for the show, including links, can be found in the howtoresistpodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email updates. Thanks to Beth Soderberg for help with our website, Sari Liani for logo and design, and Carolyn Hanrahan for production assistance. Thank you for listening. I'm Will O'Neill. Thank you for resisting.